Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. This is episode seven of our 10-part Oscar series, so we're in the home stretch. Each episode features a panel of film industry professionals discussing the nominees in their category of expertise. And today, we're talking about film editing. Let me introduce my guests. Christopher Angel, writer, director, editor, and it's your third year discussing the Oscars with us. Welcome back. Thanks, Kid. So, so glad to be back. Also happy to welcome Amy Duddleston, film editor. And while it's your first time on our Oscar panel, you're no stranger to the podcast. Nice to see you. Nice to see you and nice to meet you, Chris. Hello, Amy. Listeners, if you're curious about our panel and their film credits, look them up on the Internet Movie Database. If you start on the Below the Line page, you can simply click through to the film credits of our guests. The five films recognized by the Academy for Film Editing this year are Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, The Power of the Dog, and Tick, Tick, Boom. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this awarding. So let's start by talking about Don't Look Up, film editor Hank Corwin. Where would you like to start? Because I had some issues with this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And Amy, I did too. So I have a lot of issues with this movie. I mean, Hank Corwin is a, he's like a tremendous editor. And I think, you know, this film had a lot to say and too much, like in the second act, it was just so long. It just didn't need to be as long as it was. I mean, like my favorite part of the film was like the last 25 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. And that just kind of like the beginning and the end. And so the middle was a problem for me. And I, I really do feel like um, I love the way Hank, like I like, like, like the way he and Adam McKay tell a story, like, like their other films together are, are really good. Like the big short was a great film. Um, in the way it was told. And it was told, you know, through editing, a lot of it. I just had some real story issues and that kind of, re- I mean, it wrecked the film for me in that way. I really, I just, I wish I liked it more. And I just felt like it got bogged down in the middle and that's editing. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, Amy, you raised some really great points. Cause I think one thing just to put up front now, as editors, we are colored by our subjective feeling as we watch a movie. And so then what happens is I watch the movie and I'm like, I'm not enjoying it as much as I might like. I start trying to pick apart the editing and figure out, well, why do I feel like it's not working? And Amy gave a good description of why. And I think the one thing I would say is like, if there was an award for like best variety in editing in one movie, this one would win it because there's so many different styles thrown in here that it's kind of amazing on a technical level. You know, it partly feels like the morning show. It partly feels like a sci-fi, like disaster movie. It partly feels like a slapstick comedy. It partly feels like a satire. Then there's this like moments of drama, particularly towards the last 20 minutes, Amy, that I think you you enjoyed. And it's just so many different styles. And like, it's really impressive that Hank could pull that off as an editor. But I also think that's the film's weakness, that it just does not hold together. It's just so uneven to me. And I wasn't sure what movie I was really in. So... I know people who love this movie, but I don't think Amy and I were were part of that. No, and I, I I was looking forward to it. You know, I mean, I loved like Leo DiCaprio, like everybody in it was pretty great. I mean, I didn't like Meryl Streep, but like I didn't like her character, so maybe that was it. But um, 
it's just too much was it's like too much was going on it just was too much and 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 it verged on like bloated like self-righteous you know I don't I don't want to say that because it just but that was the storytelling it was kind of trying to knock you over the head you know social media television this that you know um it could have been streamlined it was just I, I mean yeah he did a great job in trying to weave all of the styles of the movie together but i just feel like it got bogged down in the middle with some of the unnecessary stuff i've heard the filmmakers compare it to dr strange love a little bit which is a tough comparison right <laughs> And maybe I'm not doing it a favor by bringing that up, but you know, it reminded me of it in terms of like, you know, what it was trying to do and what it was trying to say. It's just the Dr. Strangelove had such a unified yeah. genius vision to it. And this one didn't. Like, again, if you think of Meryl Streep and Leonardo DiCaprio, like they're not in the same movies. And when they show up in the same scene, I'm just confused. It's really early. confusing. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on, the thing with Ron Perlman, it was just Dr. Strangelove. I mean, it was just stolen from Dr. Strangelove. So <laughs> I don't uh, actually know anyone that doesn't love this movie, Chris, so I'm <laughs> not sure who those people are. Apparently somebody does, because it is getting more attention than, than I thought it really deserved. But you do bring up a point that I want to ask you guys about, not necessarily even just about this film, but compared to a lot of our technical categories where you can pull out the elements that are being judged with editing how the story unfolds and sort of the enjoyment of the film itself is relevant because editing is a big tool about making that work. Yeah, and there's a tradition of like the best film category overlapping with best editing. I think this year's a little weird because of, I don't know why, but generally the winner of the best editor is also often the winner of the best picture. And it's just, it just goes to show, I think, how important editing is to storytelling, right? You're touching almost every aspect of filmmaking. There's cinematography, there's the acting performance, there's the script and storytelling, um, and there's sound and music. I mean, all these elements actually get touched and affected by the editor. So it really, it's, it is actually hard to pull it apart sometimes because the editor has a lot of control over allowing these other crafts to come in or using the best parts of them. I agree. It's like, it's uh, editing, <laughs> no editing. I, I just, you know, so many films are so long these days and I do not understand. I really don't. I mean, I, you know, you'll see me on Twitter saying, bring back the hundred minute movie. But I, because I miss them, you know, the economy of, of like, there were plenty of films here that could have been told in a hundred minutes, easy. It's just, yeah. So anyway, we'll keep talking about that. Well, that'll take us to the second film on our list, Dune, film editor Joe Walker. I loved Dune. I did. Now that's, this is a movie that couldn't be told in, you know, 90 minutes. I mean, it, they tried that once and it failed miserably. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, David Lynch's version was the condensed version of Dune and it failed. And um this was the epic. This was the book that, you know, you read when you were a kid. This was it. This was the whole package. And uh, I really was just like wrapped. It was emotion. It was action. It was storytelling. 
And I think, Amy, to your point, too, about run times, like the decision to cut it in half, and this is like half the book, basically, was genius because it didn't feel long. Like it was precisely what was so amazing about it. It's like it told so much story, but it kept moving and I, it kept pushing forward. And even when the shots were longer and more epic, I didn't feel like the forward motion of the story was getting bogged down unnecessarily. So it was a really- Not even. No, Not amazingly even. done as an editor. Amazingly, amazingly handled. Yeah. The other thing I really, I liked about it, and this is again, my personal, like what I look for in films and editing is the balance of like personal characters with the bigger story, right? So it's like, you see Dune, you're like, okay, it's a space opera. Like, you know, you're expecting the big action scenes, but the editing really paid attention to the Timothy Chalamet character, Paul Atreides, and really like brought me in internally psychologically. And that, like that juxtaposition of like an, one character and being inside their head and then this bigger historical threat to him and his people really i find that interesting in film when they can pull that off because it does all the best parts of cinema and it balances them so i sort of look at the editing and like how did they do that and really want to tip my hat to joe walker the editor for pulling that off because you know a lot of the scenes were structured around being inside paul's head he had these visions and then these visions tie into these bigger set pieces that are kind of coming in sort of the space opera aspect of it. So being able to balance those is really tough. It was, uh, it was so well balanced. I was, I, um, yeah, just thinking of like all of the sequences in his head and how that played. And then like when you got to, you know, actually meeting Zendaya, <laughs> like, you know, it was like, okay, the story is just moving forward. And, um, I just really, I, I was just blown away by how measured everything was and how well it worked, you know, like I, I, you know, I'd forgotten a lot of the plot of the book too. And, and just the whole thing, I just really uh, was taken by the whole thing. I really was. <laughs> and I'm usually not like the epic movie fan and I really just got sucked in. I mean, I like. Denny Villeneuve's films. I really am a fan. Um, and he's like the one epic storyteller who I do love. So um, maybe that's it. He just really knows how to spin a, you know, futuristic yarn. Um, yeah, there's nothing wasted. Yeah. And Joe Walker and Denny Villeneuve have had a relationship. Um, Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049. This is an ongoing relationship between the two of them. Yeah. And it's, and it, you know, that's really, that's a big deal. You know, they have a language. They have a, they, they understand each other. They understand the story. I mean, you know, this was planned out and it, it was just really well done and um, loved it. Yeah. Besides the visions, the other thing I just want to talk about is on a micro level for a second. The scene with the hunter killer it's this little like drone thing that's left behind. Yeah. Spoiler, but it's left behind. It's like a booby trap on this desert land, the Dune Dune world, and just the like tension that Joe Walker was able to like milk out of this scene. It's just it's technically so brilliant because he's like using foreground and background and changing the shots and and he's just, like hiding behind that thing and like you know and like I mean that little drone thing. Yeah. And it came out of nowhere. Like you just didn't expect it. Yeah. And like, there's nothing wasted in this film. Like, as you point out, like the, the visions pay off and add meaning to things, little details, 
you know, like the, this is like a side with a gardener. I'm like, why are we watching and talk to the gardener? But then later on the tree, these the trees, yeah. trees burning and like everything pays off and it all feels very economical and yet has bigger meaning. It's just really powerful to watch. Now, what do you guys think about the complaint that's coming from some quarters that it is only the first half of a larger epic and therefore you got to see the whole thing before you can really judge the work? I disagree. You know, I just, yeah, if, if you're telling the story of June, sure, it's missing a giant part. But uh, I don't, you know, I didn't want to sit through a six hour movie. <laughs> I'm ready for part two, for sure. But like, I'm happy to wait now. I'm not happy to wait, which I think is a good time. Like, I'm very <laughs> But I mean, I'm yeah. waiting. <laughs> right. I want I want to see the next part now, but I do feel like it was a great place to end. Because if you're just looking at the story of Paula Trees, like that's a big moment that it ends on. I won't give that away. But it just it felt complete as a story about him and him growing up. So I am really excited to see the next part, but I think that was a really clever choice because it it made the movie economical without an epic but not bloated, so. No, it's like this story's getting started. Like, you know, like the whole backstory and all of that, like, there you go, you know, and it was well told. I agree with you guys as well. That was, you guys answered exactly correctly. Thank you for reinforcing that idea. <laughs> that was the No controversy. <laughs> I mean, I even liked, like all the casting. It was just so good. Like, like even Dave Bautista and like, you know, they just, it was so good. And Javier Bardem and ugh, still in Star's I mean, I think it's notable on this film is that they didn't just film part one and then part roll into part two. They didn't know for sure they were going to have a part two. Obviously it's set up for that, but they didn't start filming part two until this was released and got the feedback wow. and they got the green light for the second half. So I think they were making a complete movie here. If they hadn't, this movie would still stand on its own as a, as an epic, as you say. I mean, I would be like, oh, maybe someday there'll be a sequel, you know, but I mean, I would have been happy. It's like, he's going to go live in the desert. They're going to have adventure, you know, but Zendaya would have had to show up a little sooner. <laughs> <laughs> and not just in his visions, but uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about the third film on our list. That'd be King Richard, film editor, Pamela Martin. I enjoyed this movie. It was a biopic and... um you know, I lived in Los Angeles in the 90s and remember when, you know, Venus Williams was coming up and I totally remember this whole story. And um, I do feel like it got a little taken advantage of because the story of their dad is a little harsher in real life. But uh, I really enjoyed this. I mean, it was just it was kind of a feel good movie for me. I like tennis. I like, you know, um, but again, like the last 20 minutes were super compelling uh, when she's finally allowed to play tennis in the pro, you know, match. Um, and she totally gets played and it's really great filmmaking and editing. Um, Pam's really good with tennis. It's like she's not a stranger to editing tennis. So I don't know. I, I just I really loved the mom. I thought it was, you know, it was a well-told story. I, 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 you know, best editing, I don't know. That's what I don't know. I'm kind of like, hmm. So I, I mean, you know, one thing I like to do is get on this podcast, it's now my 
third year here, can't believe, but I like to look at like sort of big patterns. Like, you know, what is it about these films that they share in common? Because it seems like a pretty random collection on one level. It is a little an, to me. Yeah, right. But from an editing point of view, I sort of like had to sit back this morning, like what's, what's in common? And I think what they all do really well, even don't look up, is edit for performance. Yeah. That they're, the editors are all really have done a really amazing job pulling out fantastic acting performances. And I, I don't think there's a better example than King Richard. Like it just, it just lets Will Smith play. And as Andy points out, like, you know, characters that might in other movies might be kind of supporting characters, don't get as much dialogue or screen time, but really you get in their, their heads and the point of view. And I really found myself rooting for his wife and enjoying her perspective and what she was bringing to the table. Yeah, and it was really good. Like she's amazing. Yeah, and I feel like the editing was helping that. Right? No, Pam's really good at yeah. that. You know, she really like the emotional journey of every one of those people, including like the three other kids that you know were just supposed to do well in school, <laughs> like, support their sisters that are on this path where there's a plan. Um, it was, it was really well told. And just uh, the frustration of like everyone who encounters them and like his protectiveness and you get it, you know? And and it's it's interesting too, because it's like, we all know what happened. It's like, right. <laughs> Serena Williams is the greatest tennis player in the history of tennis. It, it's like for me um, and her sister, you know, paved the way too and uh it's just a, it's a it's a great story on its own you know and I really did enjoy it I did a lot you know it was it was just it was the editing of the performances and and that mom and um and bringing all of that around like the emotional you know bringing the neighbor across the street it's like all of that stuff it was really important you know all of the 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 guys in the hood and all of that stuff, you know, you throw like, why are we? And it's like, no, it was really important because that was part of their adversity of like getting the freaking hell out of there, <laughs> you know? And then the other thing that I kind of see tying these movies together besides performance is rhythm, right? Yeah. We already talked, touched on sort of like the length of the movies. And, and to me, it's like sort of the unifying rhythm of them. And obviously in this movie, you've got the tennis playing and the, the tennis matches themselves. Like that, you know, is that well done technically? And I think it really does stand out. It's just Absolutely. So powerful, right? It's like you're, you're kind of rooting for Venus and, you know, and her sister when she's playing. And you just, it just brings you inside the game. It really makes the game tense and, under, and understandable. However, the one thing I would say about this movie, like from an editing point of view, is I just, I felt it was way too long. I, I felt like, you know, again, this like 100 minute goal I just felt like there were a lot of sequences that could have just been done more economically, you know, like, tra like the traveling in the RV. I, I got it after, you know, a few seconds and it seemed like, I don't, I don't know why it was so long. And I encountered this in editing television a lot. It's like, you know, the rule of threes with like a writer and like the whole, like we need three seeds to cover blah, blah, blah. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, I didn't need, you know, three scenes with the guys at the park. I didn't need, you know, a, a lot of that. Yeah, it, it, again, it comes to storytelling and you're just um, being a little more economical in the end does help it. I just, it was, it was long. Like after an hour, I was kind of like, okay, 
they need to get to Florida. Right. I know where this is going. <laughs> Both from history. And- I know from my own knowledge yeah. where they ha- where this right. goes. And I want to get a little sooner. Get there. Yeah, exactly. Because it does. It just, it makes you feel, yeah. You both talked about the tennis sequences and the way they were handled being really well done in this film. Could you talk a little bit about the challenge of getting a sequence like that from the page to the screen from an editor's perspective? Probably from the page. The, the, it was probably like one of those tennis matches were probably like an eighth of a page or like, a, you know, they play tennis, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and then Pam gets the footage and it's like hours. Yeah. And so it's such a challenge. It's such a challenge to like flesh out, you know, like what dialogue there is and he's trying to teach them. And, you know, and even just like at the end with that big match, I mean, that was just, I mean, that was a mental thing too. Cause you had to get inside her head and you were like, when she was being abandoned on the court, you know, by Aronsa Sanchez and she was like, whoa, like what's happening and you're, you know, you realize what's happening. And that's a, that's really hard. It's really hard to do. And not only are there, you know, there's so much footage, but there's also so many camera angles, right? So, so many cameras. Yeah, and it's choosing, like, how do you put those camera angles together, both to show the pace of the game, which has its own pace, but also, as you point out, to show the psychology of the characters playing it and the people watching it. Like, when do you cut to the audience? You know, in some scenes, you've got the father inside, separated. Like he can't, you know, he can't watch can't his watch. kids' matches yeah. because he's so nervous. And I loved that. And it was like, I know that feeling, you know, where you're just like, I can't watch. I can't be near it. I can't stand next to it. I can't, you know, and then, then and, and just cutting between him and then like observing and him telling people stuff. That was so good, you know? Yeah. So the when of all that is super what the editor is doing. It really can change how that scene plays and how it works, but they worked. I mean, it's super tense and you're, you know, you just want to know what's happening next and you want to see her play and, just balancing the athleticism and the shots that show that with the audience and the emotion. That's really, it's pretty cool. No. And if you understand tennis, it's, it's like so much of it is just like your nerves and your head and like, Oh, I missed that. And Oh, that. And, and it's like, you know, there were the sequences earlier in the film where like she was losing and, and she just like turns around and gets her mean face, you know, just like taking that like little breath, and like getting inside that space of hers. And then she turns around and she like kicks her ass. And uh, it's, that was really good. Or little details like, you know, when her opponents sort of get down on themselves for not winning. Yeah. And, like, Vicario at the end does the same thing for a while. And it's, it's like all these little callbacks. And again, like when she's that shot and it's exactly the same shot as before we saw at a, at a sort of tennis club in a junior match. And, yeah. Nice little setups. That, no, you know. it was that filmmaker is very good. I mean, he's he's a good director. You know, it was well done, and and it was a well done movie. Really I like those girls a lot, and as a friend, another editor friend, she's like a little too much giggling, but it was really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really hard editing kids. It's just like I can't imagine like having five of them in one scene. I, it's it's so hard. <laughs> they're all distracting each other and they're all you know and i'm sure will smith is there messing with them and it's so hard and it's just yeah and there's no breath you can't cut that's really difficult oh my god (laughs) all of them in one shot it's like (laughs) 
I wouldn't have thought about that, the challenges with kids specifically. Oh my God, so many challenges. So many, so many. Anytime you see a, a scene with kids and it just, you know, no, it was, a little... some kids are amazing. A lot of kids just need a lot of work. And so, you know, I'm there to help, but it's like, <laughs> I'm here for you, kids. Well, there were fewer kids in our fourth film. That'd be The Power of the Dog. Film editor, Peter Sebaris. This was my favorite movie of the year. It was. I mean, I love Dune, but I love this movie more. It was, uh, I just loved it. I was shocked by it. I was, <sighs> the editing in this film, it's like the world's slowest movie. And it's like the screw is being turned like every second, every minute. And I was like, I was hiding my face behind a pillow at certain times and nothing was happening. Like, but there was so much happening. And this, it blew my mind, the editing in this film. I just, the performances, like it was, it was truly the whole package. I just, I, it snuck up on me that I had, I, I'm glad I didn't know anything about it going in, except that it was Jane Campion, who I love. Um, and, you know, that was it. And I was blown away. Yeah, every aspect of filmmaking was firing in this movie. And the editing balances it all out really well. I mean, it's just that sense of foreboding and of danger without actually showing violence. It's just, it was like, how on earth did they manage to manufacture that? And it's editing. It's editing. It's yeah. editing. And, you know, I had friends who, like, turned it off. Like, they were like, the, the, it was going to get really Mark. violent. And I was like, um, <laughs> it doesn't. And they're like, you're kidding me. Right. I was like, you can thank the editor. <laughs> and again, they like just bring out the performances of the actors. Oh so, I mean, what shots are chosen, you know, when it's silent. I mean, again, a lot of it is silent and very kind of epic feeling, but again, imbued with a lot of meaning and a lot of threat and a lot of tension between characters without dialogue. And again, it's very, you know, part of the cinematographer, part of the director, obviously, but the editor managed to balance that and make it work and just just amazing amazing work all around really, really amazing i just the actors you know kirsten dunst and and just that part that she played where she was just so miserable and and you just felt like every like fiber of her being and um and that's just the editor like found that you know i mean she's great but like he really just drew it out and um it was just great filmmaking i like i think about the, like i was so blown away at the end like so, like so blown away like i high-fived my wife when it was over like i was <laughs> like oh my god like <laughs> But if you get if you go back to this question of rhythm, I think you, you talked about it, Amy. It's like it seems on its face like a really slow movie, right? You got these big, wide, open shots, long takes, but it didn't drag. It didn't feel overly long. And so again, there's something about the understanding of rhythm from the editor that I found really impressive because it was like taking these kind of risks of like pushing what we're looking at and how long we're with the scenes. But overall, it just it just kept moving forward and kept you tense and, and sort of with the characters. Yeah. It was um, a masterpiece. Yeah, I just. I also really like this film, but it is interesting that 
there are many people who don't think it's moving along. And we've talked about how it is moving along, but some people it doesn't resonate with. And I'm curious, is there more than editor can do to make it more accessible? Or is there something about folks are just seeing a certain mindset, this film's just not not gonna resonate with them? This kind of film isn't for everybody. I mean, it really is. It's 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 arty, you know. I mean, it's a western, so they're like, you know, um, and, it's a, and there's a mystery kind of aspect to it. There too. is like building suspense. I guess I'll call it not mystery, but a suspense aspect. Like, what's going to happen? You know, who's who's going to get hurt? Like, we we have this impending sense of violence. You know, something's going to go. Yeah, you don't know who and who's going to do it and when. Right, so. Um, so if you're not on that ride, then, you know, you're kind of not as interested, I guess, not as invested. Yeah. It's, thought, yeah, I thought it's, that it's was, a, you know, it's up. not a, it's yeah. not an easy sell. I'm, I'm, you know, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I have Some to people say, like, see it as slow. Yeah. yeah. I have to say like, I think my one quibble with it, and I don't know if this is an editorial issue or just something else. It's just like the ending, like what, you know, in service of what, like, I feel like all of the this great filmmaking and this great acting, this great editing and this great cinematography was like in service of what takeaway, right? There was a, a mystery kind of at the end, but I also, I just didn't love kind of what the bigger message of the movie said, which is like, you know, if you're closeted, you might be- Well, I mean, this right? is, yeah. So that that to me is like kind of undercuts so much of it. And it's like, okay, well, if you don't buy where it's going, then what's the point of all this great work is maybe the question. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if that's probably a minority opinion, but that, that was just like my. my no, it's it's a very good yeah. point. It's a very good point. Um, I guess I just I really just got drawn into the whole story. Um, you know, I mean, quickly I figured out who the hell Bronco Henry was, but it, like you know, to <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch's character, but uh, but I can see what you're saying. Yes, very much. You know. Yeah, at the, at the end, it's like, what is it? It's like, okay, well, he took care of that problem. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. To what end? Right. To what end? Yeah. And they all lived happily ever after. Right. <laughs> I can see that. As an aside, I like you guys having a little bit of a difference of opinion. I mean, I will try to edit it to bring that tension out. Sure. When I'm working but... on the, the audio for this one, but... Uh, no, but I mean, it's like, that's, a, but he makes a very good point. It's like, it, 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 like at the end, yes. And they all lived happily ever after. I mean, I don't, you know, it's still a masterpiece to me, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. And I feel the same way. Like, I just feel like the technique is so good and I really oh enjoyed God. the ride. I just, I, the day after I was like, well, you know, what was, what was it really saying? And like, could it have said anything different? I, I don't know. It's hard with a sort of a reveal like that. Cause so much was built into revealing certain things at the end and you know that pushes you towards a certain takeaway of the movie i guess no and it's based on a book too i mean it's like you you know the literary version of it it's like you can't veer from that what could you do to make that different that's always a dilemma and it's set in the past set way in the past and then you know so it's a certain portrayal of the american west you know and it's like it's interesting it's certainly tackling like some great issues you know, sort of tackling closeted people in the American West in the early 1900s. And like that leads to a lot of tension. So yeah, lots of great questions it's, raised. It's, yeah, it's not Brokeback Mountain where it's like, you know, it's not, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway. The other thing 
quickly to talk about actually, which which is interesting, is like how music is used in some of these movies, which we haven't really touched on it yet. But it's true. Again, the editors, it's like the editor's responsibility to give music time to play, right? To like for the score to do what it needs to do. Yeah. And actually going back a movie for a second, like I feel like Dune was probably to me the most successful of all these movies in terms of harnessing its score to add emotion. And like Hans Zimmer obviously was doing that score. He's, he's pretty talented, but the editor, you know, when we're editing, we're often using attempt scores. We don't exactly know what the score is going to be. So we create space for those for that music and without it the you know film scoring person can't do their job so i feel like power of the dog also did a really good job of being silent at certain times and letting sound design and music drive this tension that we we were feeling and again you know i love when an editor has the foresight to take those pauses and know that they're going to be supported by the other parts of the the team yeah it is it's a it's a it's a delicate balance and i mean june was like Hans Zimmer, I mean, some of the score was kind of relentless. Like it was nonstop there for a while. And I was like, I would have been fine just with like the wind or like whatever. Um, but I get it, you know, because they were world building and then it's, it's a whole different kind of storytelling. Um, but yeah, Johnny Greenwood's score in Power of the Dog was super powerful. Like there were moments where it was just like the wind and the grass and horses and cows and um and then there was, yeah, the loneliness of like being out there, you know, with nobody. And uh it was very interesting. Yeah. Giving it lots of room. That was yeah, that's a good point. And how music played like itself in the, in the narrative and the story and how the editor dealt with that, right? So uh, one of the main characters is sort of playing piano and she's a little, a little unconfident about her piano playing. And then Benedict Cumberbatch's character is playing the banjo or something like upstairs. And banjo. It's, yeah, it's just like, I've never seen a relationship play out in music quite that way. So and tense. Her, yeah, his power from upstairs, like kind of beating her down. <laughs> it's like it's pretty crazy and pretty again, just incredibly well edited way to play music into the narrative and let it play out. Um, so yeah, nicely done. I also want to take this opportunity to plug the podcast. Those who are interested in score, three of these films actually are nominated in that category as well, besides Dune and the Power of the Dog. Don't look up for better or worse is gonna get a conversation on that. And Later this week, I'll have folks back and we'll be talking about score. So uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that one. That one will be next. Next on our list for film editing, our fifth film, Tick, Tick, Boom. Film editors, Myron Kirstein and Andy Weisbloom. Also a plug for the podcast, last December, Myron and Andy were guests on the show and we talked about this film. If you're trying to find it, season nine, episode 12. So, I mean, this is an interesting one, right? So we're, again, we're talking about the editing category specifically. And, you know, I think maybe this movie cheats a little bit because like in the title of the movie, Tick, Tick, Boom gives you the sense of like an editing rhythm. Um, and it really kind of sums up what this, you know, what the editors were dealing with in this movie. And they really artfully went between music and something that's more of straight up drama. And I think in less capable hands and, and less technically efficient hands, like that would be really confusing. But somehow I, you know, I got sucked into the movie and again into Andrew Garfield's performance through the music. 
So I, you know, really feel like this was a pretty technically challenging and amazingly well edited movie um, from an editing point of view of just going from subjectivity from one guy on a stage to full scenes and back again, and really never confusing me about where I was or you know, either emotionally or narratively. So pretty impressive stuff from, a, from an editing point of view. No, it was truly very well done. I, I, you know, I was not a fan of this film. I'm not like a huge musical theater type person. And this, this film is about like musical theater. The editing, however, if it wasn't for the editing of this movie, it would have failed even like just on its face. It would have fallen on its face because they just did the best job of tying all of his worlds together. It's like the diner, the stage, the, you know, his home life, the, like everything was there. And I felt it was too long. There could have been like, again, that second act <laughs> could have been fleshed out a little, just, just a little bit, like maybe one less song. I get that it was about a musical, you know, and we're talking about length again. I just felt like this film was too long, even in its masterful job of like bringing all of Jonathan Larson's worlds together and, and the story of Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, I just got a little bored. I did. I got bored. And that's, you know, that's not good. <laughs> Sadly. I had the same reaction, Amy. I mean, I, I just, I got it. Like he's a struggling poor writer. And I understood that really pretty quickly, but it felt like there were so many scenes making that point over and over again. And again, I don't know if that's because there's certain songs they had to get to from the original musical, but I, I, I really enjoyed the latter half and sort of when it became personal for him. And, you know, he's sort of battling friends with AIDS and sort of becoming an inspiration to him and also just such a, a mental drag on him. So that those sort of scenes were really interesting because that was something yeah. different. No, it was personal. It was like yeah. emotional. Yeah, it was emotional. Exactly. And I can deal and I relate to that. Yeah. It's like that was something I could relate to. It's like seeing his friends dying. And and this was like, you know, it's what propelled him to write a musical later about people dying, you know, and then and, and trying to make your rent. And like, you know, it was kind of that was the really interesting part to me. And um I just, yeah, the other the, and I I mean, yeah, maybe I do have a bias against like musicals. I don't, I mean, I I, you know, I generally like them. I don't know. But this yeah. one I just was kind of like, you know, he's not he wasn't the greatest person. He wasn't like <laughs> he had a tragic early death and that that's part of his like you know whole tragic story so you know he was cut off way too soon and it's like but yeah it, it just it was bogged down and that was my one giant problem with it it just went on too long but I just really feel like Andy and and Myron and Andy did a great job because it was it but it, the fact that it got bogged down is is a problem you know, and probably what cost it like best picture, you know, these are the things that like these, some of these movies that didn't get nominated for best picture. It, it's like that, you know, it got bogged down. And that is again, sort of what I'm talking about with rhythm, right. And rhythm yeah. editing. It's like, there's, we're looking at micro scenes and skips where we talked about earlier about like the technical skills of individual scenes, like tennis is amazing or cutting to these musical numbers. 
and making one guy with a piano on stage work, like that's a technical skill. It's kind of amazing to see them handle that so well. But there's also the big picture of storytelling and the editor is there with the screenwriter and with the director. And it's really their responsibility to kind of keep the plot moving forward and, and sort of understand how the audience is gonna to respond to that movie. And Amy and I both feel in the same thing, it seems like in a couple of these movies. I'm like, boy, I just wish they started this one later, compress that first act. Um, but let we just quickly talk about the diner sequence. Like, there's a very famous sequence in this movie that just was amazing, and it's the it's Sunday sequence, number. or yeah. no, the where it opens up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was just, great. Again, just the editing. I feel like the editing propelled that sequence so well. No, it, it was really good. Yeah, I mean, it was it was good, and I wanted like more of that, you know, a little bit. Me too. But it was. Um, you know, Sunday at the diner. I mean, it was just so well done. And Joel Gray going, check. (laughs) (laughs) But the Hedwig thing of like the front of the diner opening up and like, I loved that. It was so cool. And and that, yeah, I liked that a lot. Yeah. So again, like, you know, when we look at sort of technical, like why is this movie nominated? You start looking at sequences like that and it's like, it's obvious. It's just so well handled you know, from every level, but you know, we can point to the editing and say like, yeah. without a good editor, that sequence might not have been as enjoyable as it really was. Yeah. So. No, and Myron, it, he's like, you know, he's Mr. Musical guy now. <laughs> I've known Myron for a long time. So it's like, <laughs> I, it's, I'm just so happy for him for to get recognized for something that he did a tremendous job. I mean, it's tremendous pulling this story together. I just wish that, yeah, I just wish it had been a little shorter, you yep. know, that's all. And it seems simple, but it's just not, you know. It's you, just you, not. You've got, you know, so much, especially in, in a, again, this is structured around songs, it's particularly difficult. It's like, do you like say, I'm going to drop a song that the, some of the audience is expecting? I, mean, I probably wouldn't have noticed because I, I don't know. Because I don't know Tick Tick Boom, so I don't know. And, and I, Musicals drop songs all the time in their, you know, film portrayals. So I don't know, you know. But there's a lot of stakeholders, I'm sure, you know, sort of pressuring you on various directions. But it's so hard filmmaking. I know, and I think about like all of the, like all of the people involved, you know. But I want it. But I like that scene. Right. <laughs> and I'm always the one going. But but do we need it? Exactly. <laughs> That's the editor's job. It's like, ask that tough question. I ask the question all the time. But do, do you need that? Yeah. <laughs> That's why they hire us because it's, you know, as a director, I mean, I wear multiple hats. So I know like we get so emotionally attached as the director and screenwriter to this material. So yeah. you really lean on your editor to help you understand where you've kind of overgone your boundaries and where the, you don't need this to tell your story and the audience might not stay with you. So that's precisely what you've got to really rely and trust your editor to tell you. And that's what that relationship should be about. Well, the Oscars recognize five films and the ones we've discussed, but tell me if there was anything else from last year that impressed you with this editing. So this is, so this is a, a weird one. And there's another movie that I really, really love. And you know, I'm, I'm also, I spent a lot of my time doing documentary editing, so I'm gonna do a push here for documentaries. But this movie, Flea. <gasps> Flea! Yeah, it seemed unusual for editing because it's both a documentary and it's animated, right? So like, when is that gonna get nominated for an editing um, Oscar? But let me tell you, like, 
as I watched it, I, I just kind of knew intuitively like the editor had a lot to do with that movie. And I, I actually made me want to go and like look up like how did they do this movie? Because I, I was curious. And it started uh, with a series of audio interviews with the main subject who's a guy who's fleeing Afghanistan. I don't want to give too much away, but like, please go and see this movie if you can. It's streaming. Um, but this guy's fleeing Afghanistan and it's his personal recollection of like his story, his family story about getting out of Afghanistan and ending up in Western Europe. And they started, the director started with audio interviews and gave it to his editor and the editor cut it together, I think more as a traditional documentary at first. And then they started animating it because they wanted to keep this person's identity a secret so he could continue living his life in the West. And it just was this iterative process, but the end result is just such editorial control. It's, just, it's so well put together. It's exactly the right pace. The rhythm is amazing. It's 89 yeah. minutes long. It's 89 <laughs> minutes long, but it's so deep. Like you get, you get. Like it's like deep. all, it's all there. It's all there. It's epic. It's personal. I'm, I mean, I was crying at the end of this movie. And so just, I, I just want to tip my hat to the editing of that movie. It's just unbelievably powerful and a very difficult medium of documentary and animation combined, right? So I, I nominated it, you know, I'm in the Academy, so I've nominated Slate. I, it was okay, one of my you. nominations, yeah. <laughs> thank you. It was because it's like, it's the whole package. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I've said that a few times about the movies here, but um, it's so good. Yeah. And so well edited. So yeah. you, know, you might not expect it, but man, that was, really powerful editing other movies let's see yeah what i'm trying to think oh the worst person in the world i like that movie um amy when you're when you're thinking about movies you want to nominate i mean how much of it is like just your like gestalt of like i like this movie i enjoy watching it and how much are you like looking at the technique and the craft it's most a lot of it is like if i can remember like how much i enjoyed watching it i mean it gets you know it gets me thinking about my vote, you know? Um, there were a lot of films that I enjoyed, you know, last year. Um, but uh, that's what kind of gets me. And I remember, it. but Flea stuck out as like, you know, but I really like to drive my car and that's mm. like three hours long. Mm. So, <laughs> but it's a meditation on grief and it's like, you know, so I, things like that, I just love movies like that. Yeah. And the worst person in the world, I haven't seen it yet, and we're not going to give any spoilers on that one anyway, but uh, what was it about the editing that folks should watch for when they do get a chance to see it? It's just a good story. I don't know. It just, I, I, I was raptured in rapture of the whole story, you know? It's a foreign film, and it, it was just a good, I just enjoyed it. I mean, it's best editing, I don't know, but I just, I got caught up in the whole story, Yeah. The other one I would mention that was like kind of on my short list was Licorice Pizza, which again, it's like a hard yes. part, like what's the script, what's the acting, what's the editing in that one. But there's some really fun sequences that I think like feel like a period piece music video almost. And I think that stuff propelled the movie forward. And that again is the editor. I assume it's the editor is really taking the lead on that. It's like, how do we make this more propulsive and more dynamic, you know, visually? I'm not a huge fan of Paul Thomas Anderson films. I'll just say that. And I was, I really enjoyed the Krish pizza. And I think it was just because it was just a story that just followed its own rhythm. And I, I, I did nominate that for best editing and it didn't get nominated, but um, I really just loved like the whole vibe of that film. 
like the eight, you know, the teenage years, the valley in the seventies. It just, uh, I don't know, maybe because I've worked with Gary Getzman, <laughs> just seeing it play out as a kid. <laughs> It was kind of like my weird, like inside baseball kind of like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. It all made sense. Suddenly. <laughs> it finally all made sense. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm surprised it wasn't nominated. Like, I think that yeah. seems to me like kind of an obvious one that maybe should have been on there, but. Um. It was long. And I mean, it was, you know, I mean, a lot of shots of them running. <laughs> yes. It's the running movie. No, no, no. The running movie is still Last Night in Soho. That okay, movie that's, is all yeah, running. That's the okay. running. That is all running all the time. And I sadly was not fond of that film. Um, <laughs> I wanted to like that movie more. But you're right. There was a lot of running in this one as well. Running towards each other. Running away from each other. Running! Filmmakers out there, limit your running sequences unless you're compared <laughs> to fire, please. <laughs> in talking about all these films, we've sort of made the point about that collaboration between the writer and the director and the editor and trying to bring a story to life. With that in mind, uh, talk to me a little bit about the Academy's recent decision not to air the awarding of this trophy on the actual ceremony. It's a bad decision. It just is. It's all, it's, they do this like cons, I, every year this comes up. Is, it, is this show too long? It's like the show is the show. You know, when it's not going to be this thing that you can make into something else. It's the Oscars. You give out awards. It's an award show. Like, it's not about jokes and stuff. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, then put it on a streaming channel and make it four hours long because I want to hear everybody's speeches. It's like, I, you know, but I'm a filmmaker. I just, to put like best editing before the show in, in like a like a package that they're gonna play like come on like production design like all of the categories like give me a break it's like do you know how long it takes to like make a short film like a documentary short like like a sound like all of these categories they belong in with everybody else it's just mind-boggling to me yeah, I also found this decision really disappointing. It just, I mean, no matter what they end up doing, because you know, we're recording this before the awards, obviously, in our own day, but whatever they end up doing, it just sends this message that these categories that have been relegated to this different treatment are lesser. And it just, it, you know, I think as we hopefully have described in this podcast, is like, you know, how important editing is to the storytelling process to making films and all of these categories, scoring, production design, I mean, short films, like, really hard to make a really great short film and i don't know like what's the point of this award show is it a, is it celebrating the movies of the year and the filmmakers and trying to help new filmmakers emerge or is it just like this vehicle for star power and entertainment or and like selling like, soap it's like yeah, is this really is it? what it is anymore like yeah. no it's like get it off of network television then right like right. just put it on hbo max like like just have it stream live like whatever but isn't the real drama too? Like you get to see these different people you normally wouldn't see. And then somebody comes up and gives this amazingly like heartfelt speech. Like that's the stuff I remember. I, I don't really remember yeah. the dance sequence or whatever they think they're going to fill the time with. And oh, you yeah, know, it's too long, but I don't think cutting categories of filmmaking is really the right idea for an award show that celebrates filmmaking. No. And they're going to fill it with like, you know, the cheer moment 
that dates wow. back to 1990, like, you know, when films were invented. Um, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> like, I do not understand. Like, what? Like, who cares? It just is so, like, it's lunacy to me. I don't, I don't, like, your fan favorite film, and it's going to be, like, the Cinderella with Camilla Cabello. Like, great. Like, so a bunch of teenage girls are going to tune in to watch that? Right. I don't think so. Probably not. And I feel bad for the filmmakers. Like, I mean, can you imagine being an editor? Like, if I was the editor of one of these movies, I was nominated, and something happens to me. It's just sort of mind-boggling. Myron, Pam, like, they're heartbroken. Like, this is not funny. It's like, like, like... Jeremy Franco, like all of these, like for best score, like like they're heartbroken. They feel relegated to second class. Yeah. Again. Again. <laughs> Just goes to show sort of like what people perceive the place of editing is in the Hollywood permanent, right? Like, you know, editors, I mean, the nice thing about editing is you often are kind of below, like you're sort of swimming below the surface. You're not as much in the spotlight as say a director or star actor, but it, it sort of gives you a certain freedom often to like really do your craft to do it well. But in cases like this, it's just frustrating because it's, you know, you're reminded that they, a lot of people don't understand how important these editors are. And they're sort of there hand in hand with the directors and the screenwriters. And if I was a producer, I would want to honor these editors all I can because they make a huge difference to how these movies turn out. Yeah. And who's making their show shorter? Hmm. <laughs> let's yeah who's gonna edit those packages of like people getting their awards together who you know an editor i mean this is the thing i don't get it i just don't well we can't promise we're gonna have the kind of audience that uh the award show itself is gonna have but those folks are always welcome to come here on the podcast. We are about showcasing exactly the work they're doing. So, and uh, really appreciated you guys helping to break down these films and, and give us some insights. As always, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. I had a good time. Yeah, I'd like to do it again. <laughs> as long as they don't get rid of the award altogether. Best editing. Who cares? Right. But I'll be really angry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll to see you guys again next year. Listeners, that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit our website, below the line, one word, dot biz. That's B-I-Z. It's easy to peruse past episodes, and you'll find links to all of our social media. That includes our page on IMDb, where, as I mentioned earlier, you can learn more about my guests. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of you for sticking with us. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts, and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line.